You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, happy Sunday to you all. Welcome to the Helix Hour. We are back live, episode two for season two. Uh, couldn't be happier to have a very special guest here on the show today, Mr. JB Eckel. JB, how are you? I'm good. Good to be here, man. This is great. This is going to be a lot of fun today. Uh, we have a lot of things in store, and I, we're probably not even going to cover them all, which means, which is great, we get to have you back a later time during the year as well, too. So uh, we've got a lot of people jumping in here in the chat already. We're going to be talking about uh, how you discovered Line 6 and Helix and how it changed your life, all kinds of good stuff. But um, And fellow Canadian, too. Now, you don't live in Canada anymore, is that correct? Are you yeah, so- I've, been, uh, I've been in the Los Angeles area for a long time, and... Um, and also just all over the place. We've lived in Mexico. We've lived uh, we've lived in Portland, Oregon. We've lived in Nashville for a little while, um, and went back to Canada for a little while too. And we're in Victoria, which I highly recommend. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> well, let's set up the story. This I, I kind of bragged about this a little bit about you because it's just kind of a cool story. You know, you always hear these success stories of, you know, chasing your dreams. Like I tried to do that as a kid. I quit school, seventeen years old. Actually, same age that you went out on your own. I quit school, moved to Toronto, thinking I'm going to be um, a rock star, working two jobs just to pay one third of the rent, and it it failed miserably for me. But I did never give up, and I think that's something that uh, that you will agree with that you never give up. So you come from a small town, uh, and I like to say small town Canada, just like me. I told you about my town. I won't say it on the air where I am, but very very small town. You're in a small town in Canada as well too, and you leave home at 17 years old and make a, a beeline to Mexico. Can you kind of give us that whole story leading up to getting out there and maybe just share some of the the good and the bad of uh, of that yeah. decision? Absolutely. Well, I mean, for me, I, I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which, you know, and I sucked at hockey. So you can kind of figure out, you, know, there, you have to find other options. You have right. to find other kinds of things that you can do. If you don't know how to stop while on skates, you better get another hobby quick. Quickly. And um, I found the guitar when I was only about, I was, I was a late bloomer on guitar. I started when I was 16 and basically kind of vanished into a room for a year to try to get it together as fast as I could. And, uh, and uh, had a, I had a brutal teacher for a little while who never played a note for me, but just told me what to do. And that worked out okay. And uh, I ended up uh, getting a gig with a buddy of mine in Mexico. And it was kind of snuck up on me because he, he didn't tell me where the gig was. Oh, boy. He just said, I've got this place where we can be like a house band. Okay. And, you know, we were kids and we were jamming in his back room and, and, and he said, I've got a standing offer to be a house band. I was like, done. Absolutely. We've got to do it. And he said, the only thing is that it's in central Mexico okay. where my family spends some time. Anyway, long story short, one thing led to another and we were the house band in a saloon in central Mexico when we were 17 years old. And uh, I'm not sure if that's how we sold it to our parents. Probably not. No. But uh, the way it ended up working out was that we had to get good really, really fast. Like we we were there in front of live crowds and we were playing everything from uh, like Memphis Soul tunes yeah. to Zeppelin 
you know, and 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 it was incredible. We were doing Bob Marley. We were, I mean, it was a really eclectic gig that we decided to make it like that, and uh, and it was awesome. It was crazy. We survived and came out of it and lived to tell the tale. But after that, you know, I, I went back to Canada, and it had kind of changed my perspective on things and opened up a lot of possibilities on what you could do. Um, you know, in the world, and the amount that I learned in a short time was insane. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be able to learn that much in such a short period of time ever again, because because it was just high pressure, you know, going out there, barely knowing how to play, and then being a front man in a rock band in a rowdy saloon with swinging doors, and, you know, the crowd was like draft dodgers and pimps. Oh, boy. It was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so you better be playing good, and they better like the music. <laughs> That's the other thing. I don't know if it, I don't know if that ever fully registered because we thought we were so cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, guess what? You're but, alive to tell about it, so you must have, you did something right because in times like that back then, uh, you know, if you if you didn't uh, d deliver, I think there could have been some uh, fisticuffs. You know. Yeah, man, that was our Hamburg. That is hilarious. Well, first of all, there's no better way to learn than being thrown to the wolves like that uh, into into the trenches. That's fantastic. And we're going to talk a little bit more how that kind of shaped what would come for you down the road. But just imagine the talent, um, you know, that you'd get to see coming through the town and things like that, too. Like, you know, and we're going to talk about that, some of the blues bands and things like that, too. But I mean, I just think it's such a cool story, you know, and I, I like the mystique behind it as well, too. You know, you're not really necessarily telling the parents, you know, not that I profess keeping ser uh, secrets from our parents, but, you know, you have a dream and you know your parents are going to probably say no if you if you just do it. So you went ahead and did it and maybe sold them on a little bit later on but that's a great success story and i'm uh, really proud uh, <laughs> to hear that we did we did have some serious support though i have to say okay. uh the the rest of the guys that i was hanging out with were they were playing classical music by day okay and so that was kind of the parent approved gig gotcha. and they knew that we were doing the rock and roll thing by night but it was all as long as everything was together gotcha. and i was kind of the odd guy out but I had actually gotten a lot of support from, I mean, my mom really thought that I was a burgeoning pro and she wanted me to play. And they were so solid in this kind of kind of foofy classical world as far as our background was concerned. It sort of legitimized the whole thing, even though I wasn't playing that stuff. Sure. So we snuck it in there one way or another. And, and it was it was really, really cool. It was incredibly, you know, it was it was a high speed education I love hearing and the same thing happened in Saskatoon, frankly, because um, we just happened to have a blues bar in that town. Okay. In those days, and a killer little blues community that you know, and there were some real players, and we we would see uh, we would see all the guys from Chicago passing through Saskatoon because there was only a couple of places for them to play on their way out to the West Coast. So they would come to Saskatoon, and the crazy part is they would stay for a week. And play for six nights. Wow. So you had from Monday to Saturday night to try to meet these guys, get, get in with them, get to know them, you know, and try to get a chance to get on stage and, and jam. So I was very political about it. And I would start working on that on Monday or Tuesday. And, you know, by the weekend, I would, you know, have found a way to kind of get in the back door there and play, you know, play a couple of songs. And it was another sink or swim yeah. situation but the best part of it was just being able to see that caliber i mean it was like living in south side chicago as far as the the ridiculous bands that we would see 
Oh man, and so, getting, getting the chance to play on stage with some of these guys, and then kind of, you know, I imagine it's been several times where you've been up there, you know, you're nervous to get up there, and all of a sudden guys are looking over at you like, oh my god, where'd this kid come from? Yeah, and they, they were cool about it, because they were bored. Yeah. They were in the middle of the sure. prairies, they didn't know anything. Some kid comes around and tells you where the good food is and stuff. You're the I learned later on that, that those those guys are, they're you know, they're worth their weight in gold. You know, the little knucklehead who comes around and says... Hey man, there's a really good hamburger, you know, and then and then next thing you know, you're on stage. That's right, best hamburgers in town, and you got a VIP pass. That's right. That's that, that's true. That's true because these guys, any any rock star that's out there, they get into the uh, whether it's small town, big town, you know, they they're away from home. They don't have their favorites with them. Uh, they need a little bit of uh, the the uh, tour guide, if you want to call it For that. For sure. Yeah, and then this tour Definitely guide just happens so to be if it's forty below zero. Yeah. You know. Yes. No one wants to venture outside, and if this tour guide happens to be a great musician, boy, we got uh, the best of both worlds there. <laughs> that's fantastic. So that's- that was a that was that whole thing was just an unbelievable blessing to have that kind of environment. I guess so. I guess so. None, something that many of us will never experience. That's fantastic. I'm gonna jump over to the chat and say hi to everybody over here for a second. We'll come back and get some more questions. Uh, very first in the chat is our uh, line six resident Frank Rashad is here. Nice to see you, Frank. Nice. Always. What's ha- up, Frank? Great to have you. Gary Davlin is here. My beautiful nocturnal butterfly is here as well, running the chat very efficiently. She'll be posting a lot of your links throughout the program today. Uh, Sonia is here. Um, Sonia or Sonia, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. I think it's Sonia. Carlos Santana is here. Jason Sedites, another Line 6 uh, representative in the house. Uh, fantastic at that as well, too. Terry is here. Um, let me see here. Alec Bourne is here. Good evening here from Italy. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thomas Maynard is here. Hello, everyone. Absolute beginner starter here. Uh, hey, that's there's no problem. You're welcome here for sure. Uh, little David Ennis is here. Hello, Eric. Uh, and JB, um, let me see here. Am I missing anyone? Uh, David Ennis, congrats on 8,000 subs, Eric. Thank you. Appreciate that. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, let me see here. Okay, so we've got your YouTube channel already from Nocturnal. So everyone check out JB's uh, channel. There's, and I'm just going to say a little plug about that channel too. I saw two videos. One that really floored me was your um, cover of uh, In the Material World, Spirits Material World um, by the police. That was That was phenomenal. Love it. That was uh, that was an adventure because when you try to you try to do an arrangement on acoustic guitar, yes, uh, for something like that, and try to sing it more or less in tune, and you know the whole thing, you know, it was uh, it was interesting for me because I I was I was definitely at the edge of my playing level mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to put that together. But I love doing stuff like that. With one of the things we do with the band too is that. Um, we take a lot of fav- favorite old songs and try to, you know, we kind of render them unrecognizable. Sure. And then put the real melody back in there so that it becomes that song again. Yeah. Because there's nothing more boring than a cover. I know. That sounds Stuck. like a watered down version of the real deal. Yeah. You know, if you're, you're never, you're never going to, you know, you're never going to want to hear a band go up and go... You know, if they better they better bring some reggae or yep, funk or, some funk or something classical. You know, what I mean, they better bring. So for spirits in the material world, I just love that song. I find it really inspiring and really timely. And um, and so I just sat down with the acoustic and said, just you know, like what's in there? What is in this tune? Is there some? You know, can we tease out some stuff that that you could feel from the original, but just maybe a different color of it. Yeah. And uh, I'm really happy with that. And that's one of the big things that we do in the band too. 
your chorus, the chorus of that song was, I think, the the real hook, the way you did that. And I noticed a lot of slap percussion as well, too, with the thumb. You know, it was very, very cool. So, I mean, I could see a lot of rhythmic um, backgrounds in you as well, too. And not only, you know, using percussion on the guitar itself, you know, like a jambe or, you know, a bongo or something. Um, but the slap of the thumb and the chorus, what do you guys check it out? So you got his YouTube link already. Check out that cover. And the chorus is great. I mean, you're doing harmonics, bending the neck of the guitar for a vibrato. It was... Uh, <laughs> really well done i mean very well done and thank I think, you man no problem i think i think you would probably agree with this when you hear a, i want to i say the word kids anybody who's like under 30 is considered a kid to me as far as age but when you hear uh someone say oh my god did you hear this new new song by so-and-so you know van halen does uh, uh you really got me that's that's they wrote this cool song no 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 they didn't write it they covered it they did an <laughs> awesome job of it so when you when someone picks a song as a brand new song you know you've done a cover really really good Right on. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I know that feeling too. I mean, that that's how everybody felt about uh, the Black Crows when they came out with their first big song. Nobody knew that was an Otis Redding song. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And they still don't. I know. <laughs> that's a good thing for the Black Crows. They did a good, they did a really good job. They killed it. Yeah, they did. That's you know, what you they, have to do. They, they owned it. That's the second time that happened to Otis because uh, Aretha's biggest hit was Otis too. Respect was a was a was an Otis Redding tune as well. Yeah, you you played a riff. You know, I've, as a joke a minute ago, but you played the little riff from Stairway to Heaven, um, another uh, Line Six and Yamaha artist Jeff Schroeder from Smashing Pumpkins. Did you did you catch any of their tour? Or did you see any of the videos? They did Stairway to Heaven live, and you know that so, is that is I gotta give it up. There are certain songs that you just don't touch. That's one of them. That are just like do not. Hmm? Do not cover them. Yeah. No matter what. There's no need and, to. And even even whole bands actually, and 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 but particularly songs. Stairway to Heaven is one of those, um, and the one that the one that uh, that we recently stumbled over in my band is like that too. It's, it was like my advice to anybody would be to avoid this particular song like the plague. Mm-hmm. And never attempt to cover it because you will fail. Yes. So of course we invested our all our energy into making that cover. And believe it or not, it's "Money" by Pink Floyd. Oh, right on. Like, okay, it's just that's just as. <laughs> I'd love to hear. <laughs> you know hear what it. I mean? You don't cover that song, but the reason it happened was because I had a dream. Yeah. This happened to me two different times where I dreamed that we were playing this cover, <laughs> and and I woke up and it was you know so it's not my fault. Whoever inspired the dream is gonna have to take the heat for that one. Sure. But the riff, uh, the main riff of "Money." got turned around rhythmically in my dream and i woke up and i thought if you did that you might be able to pull it off plus we have a we have a particularly brilliant drummer in the band so if you throw something a little bit odd metery at him he'll make it sound like it was written to be that way okay so you know kind of like the the way soundgarden did stuff like that yes. they would they would make all those odd meters just sound just creamy every time the transitions and everything so I have one of those guys in my circle, so I can get away with creating some, you know, wonky off off time meter thing, and he'll make it sound like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, he's a pro. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Whereas you get the average, you know, a drummer with not as much skill, uh, and that could just totally grow off the off the train tracks and derail the whole song. Or make it sound like you're thinking too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know. that, that's a good analogy, though, with money. That's a, a very good, uh, another example of maybe one that, you know, you have, be careful, tread lightly, son, on that one. It reminds me of last night, Junior and I were jamming late. Uh, he's getting really good, my little guy. He's only 12, 
And right uh, we're doing um, uh, another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd. We we're both covering it. And he's actually, I'm, I'm holding down the rhythm and he's playing some, you know, improv leads over top. For 12 years old, I was really impressed. And he heard me sing for the first time. And he's like, um, I didn't know you sang. And then I was like, well, okay, don't tell people. <laughs> Keep it going. I used to do a backup all the time, but I just, I stopped that real quick before that rumor got out that I sing. So we don't want to have You that. heard it here, here first, folks. Yeah, you won't be hearing me he sing. He sings. Yeah. We're on YouTube. Maybe maybe after a couple of beers or something, you might, but uh, until then, no. But uh, let's continue in the chat for a quick second. We've got Jamie Trevino, The Laws here as well, too. Um, let me see here. Let's see if I miss anyone. Sean Zimmerman is here. Uh, hey, Eric, Nocturnal Butterfly, David, uh, everyone. Uh, let me see here. Let me see if I miss anybody else. We're getting down towards the end of the chat. I'm catching up. Not doing too, too bad. Um, oh, yeah. And, that's, and Anton, um, I am going to try my best to pronounce the name uh, Blemhoff, I'm going to say. Uh, it says, would love to hear the money cover. And says, P.S. Hi, everyone. So here's something. We want to talk about covers and songs that we all know. This is a good segue. It's almost like I planned this, but I didn't. So you had the opportunity, obviously, of honing your chops very at a young age, you know, going to Mexico, getting the, you know, the, the house band gig and getting a lot of talent coming through. And you caught the eye of a band that many of us probably know the song. Not a lot of us know the name of the bands, but they're famous, famous, famous songs um, with war. And a lot of us know, you know, lowrider songs like that. Right. How did that happen? And what did that do for your career? Um, honestly, that was like, if there was one thing that kind of changed my life or, or, you know, changed the game for me, it was that because I was a huge fan of war. I grew up on their music. Uh, here's a crash course for everybody. If you don't know war. Okay. So everybody knows, right? Everybody knows that. Okay. We know that. Yep. Lowrider is their big signature tune, but uh, Low uh, War is also the band that did uh, "Why Can't We Be Friends?" Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? So that's them. Uh, this one's them. Let's see. Cisco Kid was a friend of yeah. mine. Oh, 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 oh. That's War. Uh, here's another one. Voice. You know that song, Eric yeah. Burden and War? Yeah. And he talks for most of it. I was walking down the street one day, and then they finally get to the chorus, and it goes, Spill the wine, That's War. Spill the um, It goes on and on and on and on. The amount of hits. Of, of, of just pure, flat out hits. But but they they didn't. They weren't really marketed as a, like, nobody really knew who the guys in war were, except for the hardcore fans. But their music was ubiquitous. It was just everywhere. And even when I was a kid in Saskatoon, the fact that that music filtered to me as a little kid means that it must have gotten everywhere. And I rediscovered war when I first moved to L.A. because I was obsessed with the 70s and I was... Um, I was trying to play, you know, all the different kind of 70s leaning styles of guitar. And uh, and the only modern guys I was into at that time were like Lenny Kravitz and Jamiroquai and all the other retro 70s guys in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So for me, war became this thing. They were to me, they, they were like the American Bob Marley and the Wailers. That's that's how they affect me. It was like street music that somehow became 
mass, you know, pop culture successful. And, um, and so, uh, at the time, a friend of mine happened to meet them on a plane, happened to make, become buddies with them instead of just meeting them on a plane and never seeing them again, went to a gig with them one time, put my tape in, in the car at the moment that they broke up with the original guitar player. Oh man. And were playing shows without a guitar. Like wow. they actually did a short run of shows and so many of their songs have Signature. really important little guitar riffs. Like they weren't, they weren't, you know, they weren't like a guitar band, what you would think of. No. Every one of the songs had this cool, you know, the guy Howard Scott was just a, a fantastic funk player and a, and, a, and a blues rock player. And so they were actually looking for somebody like yesterday. They needed somebody immediately. So I didn't know really any of this. And I get a call from the guy and he goes, Hi, is JB there? This is Lonnie Jordan from War. He had an FM DJ. Oh, yeah. Kind of like soul music, FM DJ voice. And I, I immediately thought it was one of my friends. Doing a joke. Kind of screwing with me because of the fact that I was so deep into their catalog at that time. Mm -hmm. I was buying the CDs as they got reissued. Wow. You know, because all the hip hop guys were sampling War at the time, so you could get all the CD. So anyway, um, I started talking back to him. And he goes, I'm going to try this again. <laughs> I'm looking for a guitar player named JB. And that's when I realized none of my friends would have thought of saying guitar player. Yeah. That like there was a ring of, oh, my God, this is actually the guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, uh, yes, sir, this is him, sir. You know, <laughs> and um, and then we, we talked about, you know, the band and stuff. He goes, yeah, we're, uh, you know. He said, what are you doing with the next couple of years of your life? And I, I go, uh, hang on a second. Let me check. Actually, looks like I'm clear. Looks like I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, I had nothing for the next two years. It's weird. I'm, nothing I'm, on the calendar. Yeah, I'm, I'm wide open. <laughs> he goes, um, well, you know, the tour starts on Saturday. And this was Wednesday. Oh, boy. I mean, it was nutty. And he go, and I said, is there, you know. I, I didn't know what to do. And I said, is there a rehearsal? And he goes, do you have War's Greatest Hits? That's rehearsal? Said, of course I do. He goes, that's your rehearsal. Watch me for the endings. Because the songs all fade out on the CD. Oh, man. <laughs> and literally, it was like show up at the airport kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other guys in the band were looking at me like, you know, who's the 25-year-old white kid? Yeah. And is this some kind of practical joke yeah. or, or what so i was pretty stiff for those first few shows because i i just you know i was just trying not to ruin the music sure um and just trying to watch the endings and stuff so that i wouldn't be the guy like left hanging out after the ending yeah spinal you know, tap moment happened. but but then what happened was we played for six straight weeks we went to uh we did the whole east coast and then we went to europe and it was just like again one of those crazy crazy things and I just had to kind of like make my way in the band and not, you know, not mess up. And Lonnie was a wonderful band leader because what he did was he told me I was being too clinical about playing it, trying to play it exactly like Howard. Okay. You know, and so, I mean, of course, I'm sure that was 
better than if I didn't care and yeah. didn't have any reverence. Because I was like, you know, I was religious about, I want to play it like Howard. I didn't even have any pedals out that they wouldn't have had. Right. In the, you know what I mean? Yep. In the In the 70s. <laughs> so, you know, you wouldn't have heard a chorus. You wouldn't have heard, a, you know, none of that. Yeah. It was like a wah-wah and whatever. So I just kind of played my parts. And then Lonnie said, you know, he started pushing me out front and making me play like Hendrix stuff and Santana stuff and um, kind of trying to bring out more of my thing that I was into yeah. that would have been different than the original. Pushing which, out of the nest you know, a little he bit. He didn't need to do it like that, but that was more fun for him. It was made it, made it a more fun show. Yeah. So I ended up getting to do it all. And, and they play every kind of music in their show, too. I mean, War is the... You know, we were the band that would get booked on a jazz festival, mm -hmm. and we were not jazz. Yeah. We would be on a Latin festival, and we were not Latin. But you could fit or in. Or a reggae festival, and we'd be the only non-reggae band. Because War fits everywhere. Chameleon doesn't fit anywhere so we were every night was just this whirlwind of insane legends that i would i would see them play or whatever and kind of take in whatever i could and then even within our set we would play you know our whole set was so eclectic that it'd be all over the map um and uh, and the stories that lonnie has to tell and stuff you know he'd start talking about bob marley so in the song uh, in the song slipping into darkness you know that song i do yeah so it goes Yeah, right on. So that's the riff. And then the, the horns go... Which is the same as Get Up Stand Up. Okay, right. By Bob Marley. And so we'd be playing this, and Lonnie would start talking about how Marley actually took that riff from Slipping Into Darkness. Oh, boy. And... Uh, and used it to build a whole other song off. Just the little horn line. Yep. But it became the basis of a huge, important Bob Marley song. And then he would push me out front and say, you know, out of nowhere, he'd be like, we'd be playing it, he'd be talking about Bob Marley. And, you know, and he heard me singing it at soundcheck or something. And he goes, okay, JB, sing it. <laughs> you know? And, and it'd be like... <laughs> You know, get up, stand up, whatever. Yeah. Flat. But uh, that was how he was. That, so it was another one of those situations where he would just make you throw down and uh, in the heat of the moment. That's very yeah. helpful to your career. That's fantastic. Although it might have been scary back then. Um, very <laughs> helpful to your career. Adrenaline goes a long way. It does. <laughs> I, I had a guy in my scene do that to me where I was playing in a rock band and believe it or not, in a, in a Van Halen tribute band where you should be the person who's, you know, jumping out front and doing crazy stuff like that. But I was more meek and I was in the back and he would go stand um, back when us guitar players would use 412 cabinets. Um, you know, it's hard to find. I know you've got one back there, but I mean, we're not seeing them as much anymore, especially with this show. We're talking digital stuff, but he yeah. would stand in front of the cabinet and I could, that was my monitor as well, too. And once he would stand in front of the cabinet, I couldn't hear anything. And he would he, he would refuse to move until he would get me out to the front. So I blame any of the things that happened for my success on that guy. You know, It's so awesome. It, it is a good thing. Yeah, it's those very, things happen. I'm sure they're going to keep happening in one way or another. Yep, you know? that's good. It makes, it makes us all better. Yeah. 
There's, I mean, I'm a little fidgety right now just being on this show. I know, and I'm, I get the same way as well too. It's it's cool. We learn things. We learn things from our guests a lot too. I mean, from just some people in the chat. Uh, it's it's always a learning process. We just kind of a pay it forward with knowledge. And speaking of knowledge, there's a question from Emilio. Um, I want to see if I can get it right. Tori, um, Tori Gianni. Uh, but from Emilio says, what kind of pickups are on the strat? So that's a GNL you're using right now, right? Oh, this is really cool. Um, uh, recently, I, I'm, I'm really a Gibson guy. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, my yeah. whole life, I've been playing. My main guitar is a 335. And uh, I've had a few Fenders that have come and gone, but I've never really gone deep with tellies and strats mm-hmm. and stuff. But recently, I got to go- know the guys at GNL. And I've always been fascinated by GNL because the whole idea of Leo Fender selling Fender at the top of their game, mm-hmm. you know, in the 60s when they were coming out with, you know, this is like at the time of Hendrix and stuff. Sure. Sells the company because he doesn't want to be a CEO. He wants to have his soldering iron out and be like working on new inventions. Yeah. Because that's really who he was. And so he starts this little company and it becomes the evolution of Leo Fender's version of vision of Fender. So I always thought that was extremely cool and was always curious about their stuff. And there was a store that uh, carried their stuff when we were kind of coming up and we would go in there and kind of, you know, tire kick until they got rid of us. And one of the guitars that was fascinating to me was this. It was, it's This is a Comanche. Okay. Which is Leo's kind of uh, evolution of a, of, of, of this, the Stratocaster design. Mm-hmm. So um, these are called Z coils because they have a Z shape. And basically they're kind of like a hum canceling version of single coil pickups. Okay. But they don't sound like hum canceling pickups. They don't sound like a humbucker. Gotcha. They're definitely, they definitely have that, you know, that extra sort of sparkle that, that you expect from single coils except they have a little bit of meat to them as well. So it's a little bit of a shortcut to getting um, more of a thicker kind of Stevie Ray type sound Mm -hmm. without playing 13s and having tree stumps for fingers. So that's very helpful to me. So the, the, uh, I don't know if you can tell over, over this, but if I, if I, real nice meaty version of a strap mm-hmm. beautiful you know and i love it to pieces and uh, even the even the even the bridge pickup is a little bit like that like okay. you can hang out a lot more on this bridge pickup than you normally would on a, strat. on a stratocaster bridge pickup okay i mean they still they still come in handy obviously so for the funk stuff we were talking about mm-hmm. You know? You can really dig in and twang it and it won't you know, it won't sound thin. Yeah, and take so your I'm head a off. huge fan of GNL now and I have a uh I have, I have some really cool GNLs. I could whip through them at the end of the show okay. if you want to see a couple of them, but You're, yeah, the, these are Z coils. Okay, very very good answer for Emilio there. Um was that it sounded like you had a floating trim on there. Is it slightly floating on it? It's called a dual fulcrum fulcrum uh, tremolo, okay. and it's again, it's Leo Fender's final take on the Strat trim. So it's an evolved version of it. You know, I mean, this stuff isn't for purists because okay. 
it doesn't look or sound exactly the same as a 1950s, you know, period correct strap. But um, it feels really good. It, it uh, I find it stays a little more in tune, kind of like a PRS mm-hmm. yeah. uh, trim. I like that trim. Or, I have you know one. I mean, I find it a little easier to manage mm-hmm. than a real than a real. So I have a pretty nice trim on one of my real strats too. Oh, one second, we're yeah. freezing. No problem. Um, and I. I think I, I think I still got your Are audio. Are uh, Yep, we're back. No problem. Yeah, okay. I, I like I like that slight the fulcrum tremolo as you're talking about that. I've got a PRS CE22 here with that slightly. It's almost it's more more range and obviously a Bigsby, but it's uh, you know it does float both ways, which is very nice. Very beautiful tremolo. Yeah, and I love Bigsby's too. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm I'm sort of teaching myself the ways of the. I'm, I, I was never a big because I was a Gibson guy. So mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't have that. Tail, you know, but um, I'm digging them to pieces. These GNLs are they're they're. Uh, they're wonderful instruments, and they feel really good. One of the other things they do, they tend to roll off the edges of the very nice of the neck a little bit. Yep, and it makes it feel broken in when it's a brand new guitar. Yeah, kind of like how how a how a Les Paul or a three thirty five, they kind of have that that kind of creamy feel to them. Yeah, and all these guitars are like that. So they all have a nice kind of rounded thing. It makes you feel like it's a just a little more. You know, like you put in some time. With yeah, a brand new guitar, and it feels like it's been on the road for a few years. Yep, fantastic. Um, let me see here. Uh, Nocturnal put in your website link as well, too. Um, and was it's true about Leo? He never played, did he? I don't know too much about that. All I know is that, um, you know, towards the beginning, he was really drawn to players and always brought them in and put his early stuff in the hands of, of killer players at the time. Mm-hmm. And just kind of learn from the feedback of hearing them, hearing them do it. That's so right. I don't know if Leo. I, I I don't know that much about that that part of his history. Yeah, he I haven't played guitar. I, I don't think he did. Strikes me as being a, a bit of a lark at the beginning. Yeah. The whole music thing. Yeah. For him. More of an innovator. You know, it wasn't really in his background. That's right. I know. If anyone knows that they can share the comments in the chat as well too, if they know the background sure. story. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think he was a player. Um. So here's something that. We're not going to take a look at your gear yet. You're going to give us a little bit of a tour here in a little bit. Sure. But I, you know, if I'm just the outside looking in, you know, following you through social media and just, you know, the styles of music that you you play now, what you have played and everything you've done before, I like to use this term. Uh, it, it's very generalized and it can be taken different ways, but like an organic uh, rock guitar player. I have a few friends here locally. I've got one guy that's, um, he does, uh, he, for, he was known famous for uh, Jimi Hendrix tribute for many, many years. And another local buddy here, um, he's a, in a blues band now but he's a rock and roller at heart and he's the kind of guy that plays a les paul into a marshall with a tube screamer in front of it sounds sure. absolutely ph- ph- phenomenal the other guy same idea a stratocaster or a les paul into a marshall and he sounds fantastic too um whereas if i was to grab onto that stuff like i would sound like i'm naked it just i, I would feel like i'm naked i need my reverbs and delays <laughs> all kind of stuff long story short i look at you as the type of guy that i i picture the analog stuff and as old and analog as it can possibly be curly cords uh you know the whole works right you know fuzzy dice hanging off your amp the whole the whole <laughs> deal right but that's not necessarily that you can't judge a book by its cover. I want to find out, and I know everyone that's watching, at least watching uh, because of the Helix content, how and when did you discover line six and kind of take us through that story? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, my, my inspiration tends to come from the time when I was, when I was a kid, um, hearing the music that I heard when I was really little. So, you know, my kind of, my kind of home base reference point is, 
uh, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, Led Zeppelin II, all that stuff. Um, and so that's just sort of like home base for where the way I hear guitar sounds. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was a, when I was a teenager, learned to play. I got really obsessed with pedals because I also loved Andy Summers and The Edge. And those guys obviously brought, you know, they would paint with sound and make these mm-hmm. crazy textures. And that was a huge part of the, of their signature sounds as a band. Mm-hmm. So that stuff had a huge impact on me too. And I was, I was always really into that. And so even though I'm coming from a little bit more of a older place and I kind of grew up playing more bluesy stuff, um, I got into that stuff pretty early. And I remember when uh, the Boss ME5 and ME10 came out. Mm-hmm. Those were the first ones that I think really attempted to do what we're really doing now, mm-hmm. which is to shrink a massive rig into a box. And um, side note, I actually met one time I met uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter, yep. who's like they're from Steely Dan and the Doobies and this legendary session player. Mm-hmm. And he told me that he was involved with the creation of the, the Emmy wow. series because he wanted to shrink his rig down. He wanted to have something he could throw in the, you know, in the in the passenger seat. Yep. And show up to a session, and it was pretty gutsy, you know, back then. But uh, he's he's like a space engineer and stuff, so it kind of fits with his sure. with his story. But but uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I, I I was really interested in that back then, and um, and I got really involved with the Lion Six stuff Pod Version One. I mean, honestly. Uh, I was doing I was doing sessions and stuff. We were not working in real studios. We mm-hmm. were running around, you know, these little basements in LA and 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 little kind of garage studios, and uh, you know, properly miking up a cabinet and making a twin reverb or a Marshall or whatever sound really great on a recording was just not always an option. No. So when Amp Farm came out actually that was probably first we probably had the amp farm plug-in before we had the pod and we were thrilled that you could get even in the ballpark and sometimes we were working with really good engineers mm-hmm. who actually were incredible at Mike and cabs and you know guys that worked with guns and roses and stuff so they would take our little you know amp farm tracks and make them sound even more legit wow by tastefully EQing them or whatever but we were we were just we were right at that right moment when all that stuff made it really easy and i just embraced it wholeheartedly and then i always felt kind of guilty about it you know because i mean i'm sure we a lot of us feel this way especially older guys yep (laughs) we're kind of like yeah you know i kind of like a lot of won't they won't even admit that that they were into it Mm -hmm. but uh i had a cool thing happen one time where i saw a mix session by my very very favorite mix engineer who's some of you guys will know his name is chad blake okay and he went from doing all these fantastic los lobos records in the 90s which were kind of like template material for me all the way to like the black keys and peter gabriel he became like kind of the go-to guy for a certain organic yet experimental approach to mixing and i saw him one time in the room doing a Los Lobos mix mm-hmm. and he was gracious enough to answer my questions and stuff. So I was bugging him and I noticed there was a pod sitting there Oh wow! on the desk along with all these Holy Grail 
analog pedals boutique stuff yeah he, yeah he, and he would just plug into these vintage pedals for vocals for hi-hats for bass you name it you know almost anything including guitar but not really as much for guitar mm -hmm. and i said what's this thing doing here and i made a joke about the pod and he was like you know what if it sounds good it is good and this came from the man it was like it was like he anointed the pod for me blessed and I it thought, you know what you know i guess it's really it just depends what we do with it and i got some really good tones from pod version one and two and then I, when i moved to mexico and i was making a record of my own i didn't have real amps mm -hmm. i i literally had a pod xt pro which was the state of the art at that time mm -hmm. and i took that thing and pushed it as far as I could possibly go with it. And so I was on board pretty much right there from the, the beginning. I never used the amps uh, back in those days mm -hmm. because I had my twin and I had my Vox and things like that. But when it came to effects, oh my gosh, man, I had those studio modelers. Um, my first pedal board had the big green DL4 on it. Yeah, I love that pedal. Along still. with everybody else, yep. you know. Um, and that was just part of our, you know, it was part of our thing. So I've always had this weird hybrid uh, idea of, of how to set up a rig. And I love listening to the Edge talk about it because he's such a big fan of the old Memory Man and Vox AC30s. And, you know, and yet, you know, we know that he's always on the cutting edge of, of what you can do with processing and stuff, too. So Exactly. You know. People better not say anything bad about the edge. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, that I like the way you said uh, you mentioned him and Andy Summers, two guitar players that I love a lot too, and they, they do build these beautiful landscapes. And you know, they they uh, as George Pahom once said on the show, he was on here, and he talks about, about his because he plays uh, obviously you know George Pahom with uh, um, Black Eyed Peas and that, but with his other band, which is really cool, Cairo Knife Fight, he likes to uh, the really crazy odd tunings, and he even simulates bass playing through an Ampeg, you know, eight eight ten whatever, awesome. you know. Um, yeah, and just amazing, but he says he creates these land landscapes or sound canvases, like we're talking about the other two gentlemen, and then it just creates such a, a, a nice little place to paint and you know and sprinkle some music uh, melodies on top and things without being just all muddied. But I, that's I, right. Yeah, I like the way and how you said. Another thing too to remember for this is that uh, a lot of the a lot of the guitar records that we love that we consider to be old school, when they went into the mix. It was a different story, so they might have been Les Paul straight into Marshall in the in the session, but if you get a guy like Jimmy Page, he's not always going to leave it at that. They're going to go David Gilmore, you know. They're going to go in with the mix engineer, and then they're going to really craft some stuff, and they're going to use two tape decks, and they're going to do all this stuff that they used to do back in the day to create you know, those kind of soundscapes out of even the most rootsy, bluesy kind of guitar parts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can't really kid ourselves about that. The mix is where a lot of that magic happened. And today, we expect to be able to do those tricks in real time. Mm -hmm. You know, we expect to be able to get those kind of sounds on the gig. If you go to a band that had an epic sound on the record, and then you go there and it's this sort of like very basic, sound in, in the in the show it doesn't translate anymore that doesn't make any sense i'm sure that's how it was back then sure um or they would go to the trouble and they would bring out a bunch of echoplexes and stuff like gilmore used to do mm -hmm. i mean they would actually bring the whole darn thing out yep and uh 
you know, so when we're when we're creating guitar tones to use live, we expect, and even the audience kind of expects it to have that that album quality kind of thing. And so we got to bring mixing tricks into our tone. We got to become like mini sound engineers, recording mm-hmm. engineers, all of us. So Helix is where I think it kind of like we achieve liftoff with that. Yes. Because um, the Pod uh, uh, HD series, mm-hmm. I I started to really kind of take it there where where because from making records like going from being a live player and playing with War and stuff, I transitioned into production, and I ended up producing a lot of records and writing songs for people and stuff. And the biggest deal in the world for me was to work with Carlos Santana. Indeed, because he was he was my hero, and so working in an environment like that where you really see how these guitars get cut but then you're working with these brilliant mix guys that that take it from there and they you know i don't know if you know this but carlos will come in the room and he'll say things like he'll say right now it sounds red but i think what we want to go for is more purple you know colors and the engineer has got to be like i got you You know, you don't want to be the guy that's like all conservative in that moment and going like, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, are we pushing like 250 or are we going into, yeah. you know, cutting, you know, one kick? No, man. He said purple. Yeah. Go figure it out. You can't be, <laughs> so, you can't be a colorblind engineer uh, audibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. He's got plenty of metaphors for every, every, every occasion. That's crazy. Uh, sonically, color wise and, and every otherwise. So, you know, we learned from those, those moments that. By the time it comes, like in Carlos's case, it's kind of interesting because he keeps it fairly pure. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? You're not going to slather on a bunch of stuff on top of Carlos. No, no, you don't need sound. to. But you're still dealing with the difference between standing in front of his fire-breathing 100-watt boogie mm-hmm. and trying to make the microphones like it and trying to make the compressors, you know, there's a lot of stuff still mm-hmm. that... By the time you hear that final thing, there's really some magic in there that these guys do. And so the appeal for me of Helix is that we can take, you know, a David Gilmore or an Edge style rig, mm-hmm. which is really comes from the world of record production. Sure. And shrink it into a darn, you know, backpack. Yep. And I've been trying to do that for 20 years. So... The first time, and I, I almost pulled it off with the HD series, except that I just didn't like the signal path. I didn't like the way that it uh, it had a couple of different paths that were a little bit, the language was kind of cryptic, and people were writing their own manuals and stuff to try to explain how to make that signal path work. Mm-hmm. Helix was just like, here's your path. Yeah. You know, one guitar. If you want anything else in there, you have to sit there and choose it and tell it that you want other stuff coming in. Right. It was visual, it was straightforward, and I think best of all, it was based on feedback from all the players. That's right, input, yep. Um, They were talking to everybody before Helix came out, and Mm -hmm. they weren't telling any of us what it was about. Right. But um, you remember Sean Halley when he was was there. Yes, for sure. And a wonderful guy, wonderful player, and I was talking to Sean, and I was endlessly emailing him and, and saying, okay, I almost got it. (laughs) <laughs> but what if, what if I want to do this? And at one point, he actually said, you know, I can't tell you 
the real answer to your question. Mm-hmm. He said, but all I'm going to tell you is wait six months. Yep. Something's coming. <laughs> he just said, just try to just not worry about it for six months and all will be revealed. And you'll, you'll never worry about this crap ever again. And, Helic- like, and oh Helix was gosh, born. What are, what are they going to do? Yep. You know? And back then it was like, what are they going to do within a line six budget? which yeah. is going to be like a $500, $600 unit. Mm-hmm. So to me, the smartest thing and the gutsiest thing that they did was they said, let's take on the high end. Yep. Let's give the touring guys and the session guys the same piece of gear that the new that the new guys are going to have. Yes. You know what I mean? That was, to me, a kind of a master stroke. Whosever idea that was, thumbs up to you because... They made a they made a fifteen hundred dollar thing that that got into the ring with Axe Effects and Kemper and all the the other high end you know the stuff that was getting love yeah from from everybody at the time and still is and they said you know here you go and it's and it's a runaway hit that's right you know it's 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 I don't know man I can't say enough good stuff about it. Here's, uh, actually, do you want to talk about the presets for a sec? Yeah, let's do that. Let's, so I'll set it up for a second. We, okay, cool. And in true tradition here, as everyone knows on the show, we like to have... I started this one day, and then it turned into a thing, and people love it, so I can't not do this anymore. Uh, we offer... Um, you know, Everyone likes to say, hey, I would love to be able to play on Eddie Van Halen's rig, or I want to play on JB's rig, you know, or whoever's rig. And in the real world, we nece- can't necessarily do that. But with Helix now... Um, and we can. Yeah, we can. So <laughs> we've got a couple presets today. You've given us two, and... Um, Nocturnal Butterfly in a moment. We'll post that link as a Dropbox link. So there's no sign up or anything. You guys can have it for your Helix. Um, but tell us about it. Yeah, let's let's go down that road. The only reason I wanted to jump right into it is because um, I, I I I kind of I didn't necessarily want to give a preset that just sounds like my basic tone mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. because um, they're always different. And frankly, with guys like Jason out there. Mm-hmm. Good luck to you know somebody trying to come up with something as as comprehensive and usable as what Jason does. Yeah. Meanwhile, explaining the entire process, thought process behind it. But what I can do is um, open up a, a little area of the helix just to kind of like show you guys what might be possible with with this with the routing, the flexibility of routing that we have. And this is a really, really oversimplified take on it. Mm-hmm. But just to give, just to show you what I mean. So, like on a Zeppelin record, for example, or on a Pink Floyd record, you're going to have the original guitar, but then in the mix, you're going to send an auxiliary send to an external processor, like a delay. Okay. And you're going to bring that in. Now that becomes really important in the mix because sometimes you'll hear like an echo that comes out only on the high note. You know how they used to put just, they would just bring the reverb in? Yep. On the vocal when he hits a high note or on the end of a guitar solo sure. or something, and the whole rest would be dry. Yep. Well, when you when you hear those, that isn't them cranking it on as an insert in the channel. You send the signal out to that, and then when you turn the volume back down, you still hear the trail of gotcha. that effect. Okay. So what you're really hearing, which used to be impossible with a normal pedal board, is you're hearing the signal getting split between your your main tone and a split off parallel version of it. Okay. 
that's going to effects. And those effects are 100% wet. Oh, nice. Right. So the mix on an aux send is going to be all the way to 100%. Let's say it's a, a delay. Mm -hmm. You don't want to hear any dry coming in on that on that second chain because you've already got your dry. Exactly. So what I what I found is that there's a couple of cool things that you can do with with a parallel chain on Helix that are a giant pain to do in the normal in the normal world unless you're on a mix board. And so uh, what I did was I made I made a parallel chain. It's almost a little overkill okay. just for the purposes of, of demonstration. So when you try it, you'll you'll have a laugh, but it's fun. So basically what I did was I took a normal sound, which is a, a twin reverb and uh, a compressor, you know, just a, a basic, by the way, I'm playing through the Fire, Firehawk uh, 1500 here. Beautiful amp. So um, I'm, I'm a big fan of these and I have, I have, a, I have my, my real tube amp back here, but this gets a lot of love because the way it translates sounds coming out of the Helix is really, really believable mm -hmm. and really huge. So, so there's there's a there's there's a a dry thing, and what I did with the parallel chain, and you guys you guys have to try this out and and give some feedback to Eric and let him know what you think about it. But what I did was on the delay chain, I put a volume swell at the front of that parallel chain. Okay. The reason is because a lot of the times what we don't like about delay is that you can hear your pick attack again. Okay, right. Which gives it an echo repeat. Oh, there's that plink. Yeah. Coming at you again. Percussion. percussion. And that works if you're trying to do that. Mm -hmm. But what if, what if you just want a, an ambient wash of delay that doesn't sound like a repeat? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So here is what it sounds like when you put... Um, when you put... a. Uh, uh, a volume swell at the, before the delay. Okay. So you're not hearing the pick attack. Not at all. And so what happens if you play... Very ambient. And my, my feedback is cranked. And I, and I put... Uh, another thing you'll see in the patch is that I put a compressor after the delay nice to exaggerate so that you hear those those decaying repeats um and i even i think i put an overdrive as well i put the base overdrive the obsidian okay and the only reason i put that one on there is because it has a mix control most of the overdrives don't have a mix uh a blend right but the blend on that one lets you get mostly clean and just have a little bit of dirt hidden in there somewhere okay so it's almost like a third chain <laughs> just because of that so if I play a chord, and I put it on the expression pedal, so that if you drop the expression pedal back, you're getting less feedback. Okay. It right doesn't down, go right down. Okay. To zero, but if I here here's cranked, and then I'll turn, I'll put the expression pedal all the way back. Okay. So it's a normal amount of feedback right so you know less than 50 percent probably mm -hmm. but i have it way up there when it's cranked so it, it'll it'll go right to the edge of self-oscillation wow you know where it starts to do the old echoplex repeating thing yep. and you can play uh like you can do this
And if you're in the room, you'll hear a little. Yeah. There's a little bit of noise in there. Yeah. But it's cool because it's uh, it just it kind of sounds. It doesn't sound like noise. That's right. It's just got a little cloud in there, and you don't hear your pick attack. And I'll drop it. Yeah, dampens it right out. So you'll you'll be able to use this for different things. So if you have a chord progression, mm-hmm. for example, and you want it to last uh, for ages, mm-hmm. you could just play. I love it. And it's it'll very go atmospheric. And go and go. I love that. I love to be able to do that. And I realized that I needed to be able to do it mm-hmm. because I play in the trio. Got to fill some space. So there's a lot of time, lot of times when I want to play something and I kind of want it to drag out mm-hmm. while I shift up to a different part or while I sing a vocal or whatever the thing may be. Or I just want to feature it for one part of the song. So there's a song that we do where where it needs an effect like that. So... We play this kind of like a funk part, kind of. But then there's a part where I want to go. You know. That's great. And in live, yep. it has a great feeling because all of a sudden you go from this dry feeling to this like what what is that? Yeah. So the other thing I want to tell you guys about this. Um, is that uh, once you've got a delay or any other, once you've got a parallel chain going, you might be a lot more heavy with the processing on that parallel chain than you ever would be with your dry tone. Right. Because it's going in the background. So you might put some stuff on there that is a lot wilder or heavier you know, in terms of settings than you would ever want to put on your main sound. So just to demonstrate that, you'll see in the patch that, <clears throat> and I put foot switches for this stuff. So nice. you could turn that compression and dirt off to get a milder, uh, a milder sound. So still there, mm-hmm. but you're going to hear less of it's the, the noise floor coming up from the compression and um, you're not going to hear any dirt. But then I put a tremolo just on the delay chain okay so that you can that's nice so what you're hearing is a dry sound and then you're just the tremolo is only on the delay and it's at the end so that means that the whole wash is getting tremoloed nice you know or you can stick a reverb on there so here's what it sounds like with everything I can throw at it. And uh, let's see, I'll just play an octave. That's really quite quite usable. all day i know in a live environment that would just be so nice because you you know it's like as a as a performing musician the the moment you give someone a chance to catch their breath and get a break 
you've lost them for a minute, right? Never, never give them that chance and command their attention for the whole time you're there and having these atmospheric, uh, you know, just um, effects, you know, just lingering, keeping your attention. And there's no time to pause and go to the bathroom or whatever. It's, it's beautiful. It really is nice. It's great. And it, it, if you're singing too, yep. um, it really is cool because you can create a little bed and then you can put your melody on top of that. And, you know, and then it's really cool if you come back, if you keep coming back to raw, drier, tones yep then it's even cooler because you know you don't you never know when that when that when the lush thing is going to happen that's right so oh, this you know, be a good and pad. you see it now you see it with bands like muse and yeah and you know they've got that stuff totally down but the fact that we can do it for you know under a couple of grand is you know it's almost not fair yeah i know it is that's it, very true <laughs> We are at the uh, at the Helix Hour at four o'clock, but I don't I don't want to take off yet. We'll, we'll be wrapping up here in a moment, but I'd like to do uh, I'm going to say hi to a few more people. And there's a couple comments in the chat, and then you're going to yeah. give us a little bit of a, a tour of the um, your rehearsal. If you guys group. are up for it, oh I yeah, am. this is going to be really cool. Around. I'll just check real quick back over to the um, uh, the chat here. Scott Roos is here, saying better late than never, no problem at all. Um, and Emilio, that was asking the question earlier about the pickups, he's saying talking about uh, cabinet. I want to buy a Helix and use it as an amp. Uh, effects rig with a power amp and adding a, a real cabinet and maybe miking it and he's asking if that's a weird idea no everyone's saying no not at all there's so many uses for helix it can be used as a standalone it can be used in four cable method it can be used uh, all kinds of different ways and that's one of the nice things even line six staff will tell you that it doesn't have to be used just to, you know as a helix as its own it can be used any way any way you can think of it uh is the limitation is your imagination um, uh, now I'll, I'll talk about that for a second sure. when, I, when i take you through the okay thing. perfect um, let me see. Carlos Santos is not at all Emilio. He likes to do pretty much anything you want. Uh, and I think there's, um, and Frank was also talking about, uh, Ant Farm being on so many records and the DL4 still selling incredibly well. Uh, and it's still green. Love that. We have the link to the preset. So everybody just download that from uh, Dropbox, import into your Helix. And that'll work with Helix uh, Floor Rack or LT. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Scott Roos says, I have the Toneport Gold, which has included Pod Farm in additions to other various Line 6 products. Nice to see, nice to see in here. Johnny Lee is here. Johnny Lee Guitarist says, yo, what's up, guys? And uh, let me see if I met Gary Davlin says, that's a cool trick. And uh, I don't think I've missed anybody else. Um, and uh, people talking about NAM. Looking forward to seeing you and everyone else at NAM as well, too. So let's um, t- tell us about your explanation there. And then you can take us for a little tour and we'll say uh, we'll say happy Sunday to everybody here. Okay, awesome. Um, and just just so you know, the second uh, preset, which is called JB's uh, Fuzz Swells, mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to use that one effect again, the the volume swell, in a different way with a parallel chain that has nothing to do with echo. Okay. Just so you can, just so you can try that and then think of different ways to use it. Perfect. So um, in that in this case, all it is is a clean guitar, and then a fuzz on a parallel chain with the swell before it. Okay, and the reason it. to the only reason to do that is because it's awesome. So if you're playing <laughs> a normal chord, that's oh yeah. Coming in after the fact. Yeah. So you'll play and it'll sound like a it'll sound like a basic you know clean signal. You know you'll and then you'll hear Sing. it come in. And it'll stay in until you have a tiny speck of silence in between. So okay. you kind of have to learn volume swell. That's wicked. So that's, if I if I don't have that silence, you'll hear the attack. Mm-hmm. But if I if I have silence, 
then you'll hear this. So just thought you'd have some fun with that one too. All right. That so by the way, that fi- that Firehawk uh, really sounds nice. By the way, even through the phone. Yeah, it does. It's I'm feeling it. It's very warm, and that's hard to hard to fathom coming through a phone. But yeah, let's have a little tour. Yeah, the Firehawk is crazy. I actually had a gig. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the baked potato. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But uh, it's a very very legendary. You know, it's a legendary, famous venue in L.A. Give me a second, guys. I have to take this down in order to, um, to, to get it. No problem. There's a good compliment for you here as well, too. Daryl McMillan says, uh, great show today. You definitely need to have JB back on for more fun times. I guarantee we'll have him back. Thank you, Daryl. Hey, thank you. We're having a good time. This could, this could go on forever. <laughs> All right, so here's Helix. And uh, I use it standalone all the time um i've used helix in every you know every possible scenario i have tons of stuff uh if you guys ever go on the uh, thing if you google facebook sound collection and you look in there and look up my band name dig infinity okay we've put a lot of uh songs into that facebook sound collection and i swear every note you'll hear of guitar on any of that music is going to be standalone Helix with no other gear on it. Wicked. So that's either going to be this this unit here, or it's going to be uh, Helix Native. Okay. So, um, but when it comes to the band, it's a whole other story. So here's where it all ends up. This is a Mesa Boogie Mark V. Um, I've always wanted one, and I finally got one. I'm, I'm crazy about it. Um, I do find, I'll say this to you guys about uh, tube amps. One great thing about having real tube amps is that it actually teaches you things. It teaches your ear how to program Helix. Okay. Because it'll keep you honest and it'll make you want to achieve that sound. And you can, you can, you can, you can pull it off, but you know what I mean? It helps if you have the reference point. That's right. If you're getting exposed to the real thing. And then you turn, then you're sort of educating yourself to be able to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, this here is a is a UAD aux, which is a amp attenuator. So I can run this 90 watt amp at very low volumes, and it's still working really hard and getting pushed and sounding great. Gotcha. Um, and there's some UAD effects um, in there too, which everybody knows are amazing. The the amp emulations in there are crazy. Not amp emulations, speaker only. Right. So that's the end point. Okay. So this rig is kind of crazy because it has a Moog uh, analog synth and a little percussion thing. Okay. That we and all of this stuff goes into pedal board. Uh, this pedal board. I was going to call it pedal board number two, but I didn't show you guys pedal board number one. <laughs> okay. But we'll get back to this. Here's pedal board number one. It's right next to Helix. It goes to this guy. Can you see everything? Yep. Okay. So here you've got a couple of mission pedals. Yep. Which are hooked up to Helix. Um, they control everything under the sun. They Helix is in charge of all of this stuff. Nice. Everything is under the command of Helix. So that's one of my favorite things about it is that you, you finally have MIDI programming that is fun. That was an impossibility before. Right. You do it, but it was 
awful. It was like a long trip to the dentist. <laughs> now, it's fun, man. I'm sending commands all over the place. Everything receives it really clean. I'm just running this whole this whole rig, and I'm basically only putting my feet on Helix or these guys most of the time. Okay. So these two could be anything. They could be controlling uh, levels, plus I have the, the onboard ones. So mm -hmm. that's three things. For all you singers out there, you know what I'm talking about. If you're trying to remember the lyrics, you don't want to find your switches. So that's right. It might be a good idea to just have these have everything on it. Like here's your verse, here's your chorus. Yeah. You know, or you know, here's your dry, here's your wet, whatever the thing is, and just assign a lot of things to expression pedals because then you can keep your eyes on the crowd and you can think about what you're playing. That's right. Um, so that's why those are really important. Uh, I don't want to be looking down there all the time. <laughs> this is an I.O. box, okay. and so is this a power box. Okay. So these things are designed so that in the studio I can I can reroute things if I need to. Okay. And it also keeps uh, cables away from my gear. Yes. I'm plugging things into really high-quality, industrial-grade plugs so that you're not messing up your equipment yep. over time. That's right. This is a TC Helicon Voice Live 3 Extreme, which is sort of like uh, Helix for vocals. Okay. So whatever, we, whatever we're doing, until the day when Line 6 starts to go full out with vocal processing, hi guys, you yep. have my vote. This um, is it. And it's great because it's also a looper. Oh, so it's fantastic. A, a, it's a three-track looper, so I could have verse, chorus, you know, I could do several different um several different loops gotcha and it runs a click out so the drummer can hear a click if we really want to get into that oh wow can. so that's pedal board number one this is an rjm mini amp gizmo yeah familiar with those for midi switching the mark 5 has eight switchable features on it and i want helix to be able to control that so that i don't need yeah a foot so instead of using the foot switch Miniamp Gizmo sends all those commands to the Mark V. So it's also, you know, Helix has that amp in a headlock as well. That's great. And then pedal board number two is way over here because I don't actually need to touch it. This can just be off in the corner mm -hmm. um, because it's all MIDI. Um, it's, all, it's all being talked to by, by Helix, including these analog pedals. So what you'll see here is a mixer. This is made by Radial, okay. Canadian guys. Um, they make incredible gear for the road and the studio. This is a four-channel mixer that combines my synth, my analog synth, even my laptop, uh, the percussion thing, and a feed from Helix that all go into the looper. Okay. That so that means I can loop anything. I can loop any of these instruments if I want to. Wow. You need a mixer for that. But this is the first time I've ever seen a mixer that's a pedal and built like a tank. And then down below, you've got another RJM. This one is called a mini effects gizmo. Okay. And it allows me to have a, as you can see, there's the top of this thing is just sort of like a, a wild card pedal area. Mm -hmm. So if I ever want to switch out, if I want to get an analog fuzz or if I want to put anything on here, um, uh, this whole area is kind of for rent. Gotcha. And plugged into its own looper. So Helix can tell you which ones are on, which ones are off, even if I'm not putting them in one of its loops. Right. 
So this can all be pre-Helix because it's all analog overdrives and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. So that I have five spaces in that little RJM. They're all under MIDI control. So, you know, and a couple of the pedals are MIDI controllable themselves. I don't know if you guys are hip to Chase Bliss, but these pedals are insane. They are the pedal equivalent of Netflix. Oh, geez. Don't, don't get one unless you're ready to stay home and just, you know, have somebody put food under the door. Okay. Um, the reason I have uh, an Eventide H9 is just for the Moke. Perfect. So this the synth is going straight into this okay. and then to the mixer. So And it has its own little mini expression, this little Dunlop. You okay. can probably barely see it. Yep. And then uh, I have a Mobius. Um, I'm crazy about Strymon. Yeah. Uh, I love their stuff. And the reason I needed the Mobius is because it has a fantastic Leslie simulation. Okay. It pretty much has the Lex pedal built into it. And I, that's kind of my favorite effect. So I'm the kind of person that would probably have like five different Leslie pedals, but that's ridiculous. So <laughs> here it is. And it also has a lot of weird stuff in it, like vinyl, lo-fi. Okay. It has a lot of like, this is kind of my weird stuff pedal. And then lastly, but not least, the Electroharmonics Hog, which, you know, would take us an hour to talk about. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is it kind of treats your guitar like a Hammond organ. Nice. Where you can boost different um, octaves and harmonics. Mm -hmm. And it also has infinite sustain oh, and cool. some cool tricks you can do with that. Um, where you can even hold a chord and then keep playing while that chord holds. Very nice feature. So, yeah, great stuff. So that's, it's a giant, I mean, it kind of looks like a giant rig. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty, if you think about what it can do, um, this would have been impossible even a few years ago. I know. And or, he looks controlling all of it. Or at the very least, highly impractical. I know. <laughs> so, so what we, you know, it's, it takes, it's, you know, you have to put a, put a few cases and kind of get, get everything ready to go out and play. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about this is that I can work in a, in a trio and I can really do the kind of damage that you're used to being able to do only in the studio. Yeah, or a, and, a live band, six-piece, eight-piece band. Yeah, and uh, all of us are kind of like that. The bass player has an HX effect. Nice. Oh, it lost him. We lost him there. Hopefully he can call us back. Let's try to call him back one second. Bear with us for a second. Hopefully we can get him back. He might have, His phone might have died too. All right, Did I lose you? Yeah, we lost you. Hang on. Bring it okay. back in. He should be coming back here. Yeah. Just wait. So for... the bass player has an HX effects now. Okay. And uh, he's in love with it. So we're all kind of like, you know, we're kind of in there. I've got a Variax. I don't have your video um, feed there yet. Sorry, it's coming. There, there, there we go. So I'm using the Variax for certain things, like alternate tunings and all that. So, you know, it's old school meets new school. It's it's That's it's, awesome. It's, takes the four cable method and turns it into like however many cables this is. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, don't, even, don't even count. 14, 14 cable method. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm seeing this happen with more and more artists as we wrap up here. Um, we did a, a bit of a rig rundown with uh, with Jeff Schroeder um, uh, at the London, where it was at Budweiser Gardens, and he was showing us, him and his uh, guitar tech, Drew, actually, who's on the Helix Hour next week, by the way, Drew Fopp, he's been, uh, you know, guitar tech for Slipknot and everybody out there, but he's awesome. also, he's working with uh, Pumpkins right now. But was showing us the rack, and he's he has like basically redundancy. He'll have two Helix racks, one for backup, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he's got mm-hmm. some really nice boutique pedals as well too. They're out on a tray that pops out, all controlled by Helix. And uh, the the power of what it can do, just just for even using it for switching, uh, it's just it. Like again, I, I hate to sound like a stuck record, but um, the, your imagination is the only thing that really limits you from uh, from what you can do with it. It's, it's really really true. I mean, I feel like I feel like. I can almost do anything with yep. this with this setup. And you know, once you start putting in a few of your favorite things, you know, when you like you said before, when you talk to Eric Klein, you talk to any of these guys mm-hmm. at line six, they're gonna tell you, use your use your other stuff. Yep. Use your favorite amp. Yep. You know, and then go in and do do a session with Helix all by itself or not, or just anything goes. That's right. It sounds really transparent. I can't tell it's in my chain. Nope. Um the amp sounds like the amp. And if I want to bring the Firehawk, I can run a whole second sound if I want. I can play acoustic sounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, the routing is just bananas. So I'm really, really, really grateful to to be able to do this kind of thing. And uh, I can't wait to unleash this band project. Um, I think a lot of us will be looking we'll forward to hearing to, that. We'll have to chat sometime once once that music is out. Yeah, do please uh, do, and then we'll, we'll promote that when you have, we'll get you back on uh, right, right at the right yeah, time. I'm sure we'll be able to find some weird tricks and stuff. From okay, the, <laughs> from the, the way that the the way we got the sounds and whatnot all. Okay, fantastic. I think there's one more question here before we go to uh, Emilio's asking. Um, he says, "Is it possible to set expression pedals on Helix to work as, for example, an auto-activated wah like the Bad Horsey?" Well, if the if the expression pedal has yep. a, a toe switch, right? Actually, you can even set it to just turn on by itself. Okay. So okay, right? You can so set instant you can on. set the uh, the expression pedals without a toe switch to just as soon as you move it the wah gets engaged. Gotcha. And then there's a set amount of milliseconds after it stops moving that it'll turn off. That's all. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a good good thing to know for sure. So there you go, Emilio. There's an answer for you on that one. Um, Daryl McMillan says, I have so many cables plugged into my Helix 20 that I need a docking station. Um, and yes, Scott Roos says, yeah, I believe it is. Uh, I've seen it talked about in the Helix group and Frank is confirming that as well too. As I was telling you just off the air before we started, you know, like I, right now, pretty much all the time, I'm exclusively playing Helix only without even going to my tube amps. And uh, I, you know, I do have that guilt, you know, that guilt factor that we all have. But tube guilt. I know, I know. It's like the amount of money that you spend on these different things and you don't use them as much anymore. But where I, st- every once in a while, I'll turn on the tubes and I'm like, okay, that's nice. It's beautiful. But to make the best of both worlds, I've said that probably 10 times. It's probably because I'm a Van Halen nut, but I wasn't trying to go down that route. I will, I've created some presets on uh, Helix where I've got uh, using Send One coming out of the Helix floor. And actually, I do put some effects on there, but there are there are effects that you would normally run to the front of the amplifier, anyways. A wah, um, chorus, uh, flanger, and the classic, you know, a phase ninety for Eddie Van Halen. That goes yeah. that goes to the front of my fifty one fifty four twelve half stack, and then the wet uh, channels go out left and right via uh, digital, uh, the L six link cables to two power cabs. So I've got wet, wet uh, left and right, and then dry, crunchy right up the middle. And you, when you play a couple chords or some leads in here, you just don't want to leave the room. It's a 
It's amazing. Yeah. And that's using both, both technologies. Surround sound. Yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, listen, this, is, awesome. this has been an absolute blast today. I was very, very optimistic about having you on the show, thinking that it was going to be a great show. Um, I, it was fun. And as I told you, we're we're four we're at four twenty here already right now. Um, we it's time flies. It's a lot of fun. So I want to cordially invite you back whenever you want. Maybe we'll time it around when the band's got some stuff happening there, and we'll probably see you at Nam if you're going to be there. Uh, oh heck yeah! Good. Junior's coming with me as well too. So we're looking forward to meeting the whole Line Six family, and uh, it, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air, so don't take off. But thank you so very, very much for uh, your hospitality here today. And, of and, course, and, man. I really appreciate the invitation. It's been really, really cool. It's Anytime, been fun. man. It's, ge- it's great talking about gear. And everyone over in the <laughs> chat, guys and girls, uh, it's a, a mix of, uh, of a bunch. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on the Sunday afternoon. And uh, enjoy the long weekend if uh, you have the day off tomorrow. And uh, just have a good time out there. Enjoy the weather. And we'll be back, like I say, next uh, Sunday. Uh, same time, Helix Hour, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Drew Hop, uh, Drew Fop, I'm sorry, uh, will be on the show and um, talking some more, a lot of Helix and how the, he's taken it to the next level. And he shared some things with me that I don't know if he'll be able to talk about yet. Uh, if he does, some tricks he's trying to get right into Helix and do some extra things in there. Uh, and if uh, if he's able to talk about that, um, it's going to be pretty cool. As for being a guitar tech, you know, sometimes there's some things that you may want to do side stage to, on Helix where you're guitar player's got the controller up on the on the stage there's some things uh that he's working on there so kind of cool stuff but i don't i'll be there for that i want to learn about that awesome uh (laughs) and johnny lee saying that's you guys at nam gary davins says great show thank you so much everybody we will talk to you take it easy man thanks everybody awesome see you soon cheers bye Hey, EVH Gear TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.